Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is the introduction to the day of Pentecost. We have finally made it. Pentecost. It has been a long time on this road. And man, it feels like we, I don't know, should have some applause or some big music or something when we make that announcement, but we've got the stillness. Maybe Maybe that's what we need. Just a little calm presentation of power. Well, I don't know how calm it's going to be. It is normally time for Friday Fun Day, but as you could tell by the opening music, we have foregone the typical Friday Fun Day. Not because we won't have fun today, but because we really want to give full uh, the full time to this. And I know you've been looking at certain aspects of the chapter, uh, and I've been looking at certain aspects, and then they cross over in places. And so we just want to make sure we got full time for that today. But never fear, those that tune in for Friday Fun Day, it is coming back next week. You know, uh, by the way, the actual day of Pentecost this year will be May the 28th, Sunday, May the 28th. So uh, we've got uh, we've got a little over well I guess we've got about a month to uh, put into practice or preparation the things we've been talking about and what we'll learn today. So hey, May twenty eighth this year could be a power pack service. Maybe that's when we'll have our applause celebration and all of the other um, extra things in in our May twenty eighth Sunday service. Of course, oh. why not? Okay, it's worthy well. of a church clap. I got to get a witness up in here. Hallelujah. So, anyway, so we're going to talk Pentecost today and what happens here in Acts chapter 2. So, here we are, Pentecost. And we mentioned yesterday, we didn't know if the disciples knew how long they would have to wait for the day of Pentecost to come. But let's talk about just what we know of Pentecost. Let's talk about what you know of Pentecost. I know very little of Pentecost. And I wonder, really, across the board, how much any of us really know about like just the term or the meaning or the significance of it. And it's not all a bad thing, but we attribute or, or think of Pentecost and we think of what happens here in Acts 2. We think right. of, uh, well, let me just ask you, you hear Pentecost and what comes to mind? I think this definitely comes to my mind first, but I do at least know that it was a traditional Jewish Jewish feast celebration that the Jews had observed Pentecost long before Acts 2. But what do you? But if somebody starts mentioning Pentecost, what are you thinking? What's popping in your head? Is what I'm wondering. Oh, I'm. What's popping in my head is this upper room here in Acts chapter number two, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this is when really the church, as we know it today, was birthed, founded, and sent forth. And and that's another one of those, not controversial, but there's people that take sides on that. You yes. Know, is this the birth date quote of the church, or not? And I don't know that that is really uh, the most important thing to, to figure. Because some people say the church has existed in the heart of God since before the 
creation of the world. Right. That there's that. Ex- Some say Jesus established the church during his physical ministry. Yeah. It's one of those things that it is definitely good dialogue because it forces you to think through Scripture and consider and weigh things out. Whoa, now wait a minute. Thinks a five letter word. Uh, you got that right. But I don't think it's definitely not a what we would consider a fellowship breaker. Like, you know what? If somebody believes that Jesus instituted the church during his three-year ministry, if somebody believes it was here, or some combination in between, the fact of the matter is, the Holy Spirit's the driving force behind the church today, and it's all based on the life, ministry, and completed work of Jesus. Let's move forward. I think the next thing that people think about when they hear Pentecost is they associate it with the Pentecostal movement, especially when you read about this, about this sound of rushing wind and cloven tongues, and then... They are speaking in other tongues, okay? So we people will think about that, and, and that not, not on purpose or not to be derogatory. It's just a thing because we know that in the Pentecostal churches and Church of God, Holiness Churches, I don't want to misrepresent anybody if I'm saying those names wrong, but there is that affiliation that pops up in the mind. But we're going to get down to some of, the, some of the bottom of this. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah. Pentecost is actually a Greek word, a Greek uh, the Greek name, it means 50th, for, as you said, the Jewish celebration. You have to say that kind of slowly, Jewish celebration, Yes. which I don't know how you pronounce what that Jewish celebration was, but it was the beginning of wheat harvest. And here's the significance of it. So Pentecost means 50th. So the day of Pentecost was the same as the Jewish celebration of the first day of the wheat harvest. Mm-hmm. Which was fifty days after the feast of first fruits, which was the beginning of barley harvest. I think I'm representing that correctly, and maybe all the details don't matter about what was harvested when, but why it matters in terms of the timing is is because of it was fifty days after the first fruits. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened fifty days before this? Do you know? I do not. Yes, you do. Was it the crucifixion? No. Or the resurrection? The resur- resurrection. <laughs> Sorry. It was that weekend. It was Easter weekend, 50 well, days prior. 50 days prior to Pentecost is resurrection morning. Yes. Resurrection began on what we would call Saturday evening. And 50 days later, the disciples are gathered in this upper room and they're celebrating Pentecost, which would be the celebration 50 days from the first fruits. The Apostle Paul explains this thing of the first fruits to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 23. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And so Pentecost is very powerful and significant because it is the fulfillment, yet again, of all that Old Testament time. We see it fulfilled in Jesus. He was he was crucified and buried, and he rose on what would be the first fruit celebration. And now, 50 days later, what is Pentecost? He is sending the promise of the Spirit. It's the now, I guess, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it's, it's sort of like the, the reaping of the Spirit. I guess, mm-hmm. in conjunction to the first fruits of, of the harvest or whatever, wheat harvest. But it is a very significant day uh, marked by things that had been in place for, you know, what, uh, 
15, 2,000 yeah. years, however long he'd been in place. Can you kind of imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples the first time that that light bulb went off and they, they really started, hey, guys, wait a minute. Jesus rose on the first fruit celebration. Hold on a minute. What day we, is it? Yeah, We all got the Spirit on... Man, this lines up Old Testament prophecy fulfillment. Hey, this, what if they were getting it like the week before it happened? Like, oh, oh, hey, hey, you know what could happen? Yeah. Because, hey, put ourselves in the place of those disciples, not knowing for sure, right? Not mm-hmm. knowing for sure, but anticipating. Right. Now, if we really lived with that kind of anticipation at Christ's second coming mm-hmm. to where we're like, you know what? I could be it could be a hundred more years, but but it very well could be like next month. Yeah. Or today. <laughs> or so it would change everything about how we live. Sure. And and if we could if we could get a sense of that, if we could encourage one another in that, if we could continue to message that, what if that became the message of the church? What if the message of the church is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? He's going to return the second time without sin unto salvation to all those who, um, what's the, how's it say it? That love his appearing. Yes. Sorry. But to all those who love his appearing, he'll appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What if that became the theme of everything we're doing when we gather as a church, just like these disciples are doing here in this upper room? Sure. What a, what a powerful moment it is. And that, that would explain why the Spirit could come and do what he did with them that day. Because they were, they were waiting and empty vessels ready to be filled. And I think the empty part is important because that's what we are supposed to be bringing when we come to our corporate worship, empty of the distractions and the baggage and the cares, but filled with a week of anticipating what we're going to receive and ready now to say, okay, Lord, we have, we've come filled with our offering to you. We have poured it out, and now we're ready for you to refill us with your spirit. So what you're saying is if we came to church emptied of the world and emptied of self, filled with God, Mm -hmm. once we gathered together in a group of people that were full of God, and God is moving like, not not like the day of Pentecost, of course, but in the same way God comes and moves and stirs, and then we go from being full to overflowing. Yes. And then we're in the middle of something that we've probably rarely ever seen and been a part of. Yep. But it's... It's, it's definitely something to not only think about, it's definitely something to say, you know what, I can't be responsible for everybody else, but I can I can do something about this in my heart. I can even, as a leader in my home, do all that I possibly can to help my household mm-hmm. to be ready for that kind of thing. I can I can work on eliminating distractions. I can I can, you know, put some you know, keep the world out as much as possible and, and keep the atmosphere of worship in my home and and we can talk about it. We can do the Deuteronomy thing. Yeah. We can talk about it when we're set around our tables and in our living rooms, and we can keep God in our minds. And uh, wow, what 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 it might do for us. Now I know we just went totally off course of this, but let's come back to it because we're getting some good help out of it. But one of the as they met together here, one of the outstanding features, and and I as I was reading in this. Uh, I got thinking about the meeting, okay? So we talked about it yesterday, how that they had come back from the Ascension, and now they're meeting uh, daily. I, I don't know. You almost wonder if they just stayed there, you know? Right. But at least here they are, uh, gathered in this place. And one of the outstanding features of the early church, uh, in Jerusalem in particular, was the unity that they had. 
And we mentioned that yesterday of how they came back and it says that they were, um, you know, they returned together and they were in the upper room and they all continued in verse 14 in one accord with, uh, in prayer and supplication. And, and they were just together in those days. And you see this again as we come into chapter 2, verse 1. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And then this coming of the Holy Spirit happens. The, 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 uh, the sound of wind, the cloven tongues of fire coming down on top of them. And I got to thinking about that. That wind and fire might be like the holy welding that's taking place of this 120 disciples. They were all there. I was thinking about this when Athena and I were in Israel. Oh. Been to Israel? Yeah, went there. And when, when uh, our missionary, Catherine Wright, was showing us around the city, and she took us to the spot or the place in the city that is recognized as supposed to be the place where the upper room was. Now, when you go inside the building, you're in like a, a, big, a bigger hall-type room, and it's actually upstairs behind the doors where the upper room is. We didn't get to go in the upper room, but you stand there in that hallway. And I, I was just thinking about trying to imagine these 120 disciples probably filling that whole space, some of them sitting on the stairs, some of them leaning against the columns, whatever they were doing. I'm sure there was furniture in there at the time. And then the Holy Spirit, just, they, they all, but they all showed up, you know, loving one another, believing together, but they all showed up really as individuals coming together. When the Holy Spirit comes that day, they leave that place now not as a collection of individuals but as a body of yes. saints. And you see this played out at the end of the chapter when it says in verse 42, after all this has happened, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Boy, I wish we had time to talk about all this. Maybe we will later on. Uh, but they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm telling you, what we're walking on, what we're treading on right now, is the key. Man, if we could somehow get back to that spirit of that first century church in Jerusalem, I'm not saying it would be the exact same. We're not, we're not Israel or mm -hmm. Jewish believers. We're not in Jerusalem. But that spirit and that attitude of just total surrender to God where nothing else really is even close to as important as what Jesus is doing, I'm, I'm telling you, we'd see a transformation. That, that would then enable us to be codependent on one another but in a healthy way, because we understand we are all unified together in the name of Christ. He is our, our source of sustenance, but I need you in order for me to be able to do what Jesus has asked me to do, and vice versa. So it's not me, and then, hey, if you want to get along, yeah, great, you know, we'll work together, but it's, no, 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 I need you to be with me, because we've got a job to do that we need each other to accomplish it. And we make a good team. If we were like the A team, I'm like your I'm like BA Baracus to your face man. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's better than being Murdoch, so I'll take it. Sometimes I'm a little Murdoch. A little bit, but that's okay. I'm a little BA Murdoch sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, uh yeah, so that that was one of the big outstanding things for me. And then of course the feeling of the spirit happens. And, and that, by the way, is what specifically said. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And I, I guess, I don't know, I guess the, uh, 
the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, there's that baptism that happens, but then there's this whole other thing that they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, feel, being filled with the Spirit is a conditional thing. Now, mm-hmm. they had met, they were meeting the conditions because, as we've said, this is all that mattered to them. Right. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, did they still care about what Rome was doing? Yes. Did they still have chores and cares in their homes? Yes. Their family still had needs. But this was what was defining their life. And that's the difference. That's the difference. It's not that other things don't have a place, but the other things were in their place. Correct. And the priority was what Jesus had promised and what he was going to do, and that's what consumed them. And so literally, the Spirit of God comes down and consumes them, and what happens is they begin to speak with other tongues, which, you know, we don't know what that was, right? Well. Wrong. (laughs) I sort of think that we do. Well, it sort of tells us in the text, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And they're going to move into some uh, preaching here. Well, Peter's going to stand up and preach and, in a moment. But even before that, it explains to us that all these people from all these other regions were there in the city, but they each heard what these men were saying in their own language. Right. I don't know whether, you know, like say say Peter got up and he's runs out of the upper room proclaiming, hey, hallelujah, the, the God, the promise is coming. I don't know if he was actually speaking uh, you know, Hebrew and then or Greek, and everybody else was hearing it in their language, or if he was suddenly speaking, what, what would be an example here of Cretan? Yeah. <laughs> you know, them Cretans are slow bellies, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how that worked. He, he, whether it was, uh, you know, some Asian language that he was suddenly speaking and he was startled himself. Wow, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. But it was a language yeah. known it, by men. Yes. It may have been unknown to the speaker. But it was known by somebody. Exactly, the people that were in the audience, which yes. would go to why Paul says later on, uh, tongues is no good without interpretation. I mean, it's only good to the one that understands it. Correct. You know, But everybody else is going to be, well, I, don't, I don't get anything out of this. What is he talking about? <laughs> He's speaking Swahili again. <laughs> anyway, so Peter's going to get up and preach on this day, and you were thinking some things about the message that you wanted to bring out. Well, really just one kind of, kind of prevalent thing i think i've read this message from peter a lot but there was something going in conjunction well i'm sorry but i was just thinking before you go probably there's never been a more um unusual introduction to a sermon than hey 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 can i get your attention Folks, no, we're not drunk. Yeah. It's only nine in the morning. Right. Now, can I go on? Yeah. When you put it that way. But I think especially in conjunction with our, our intense focus during Passion Week and you know in the aftermath of the resurrection, there was some wording that caught my attention that is very, very, very encouraging, especially coming from the mouth of Peter. So... For sake of time, we won't read the, the entirety of the message. But to summarize it, he's basically making the case to this crowd of Jews that no doubt many of which were at the foot of Calvary as part of that mob screaming for Jesus' crucifixion. He's making the case of this Jesus that you crucified was actually the Messiah and is currently the answer to the greatest problem that you have. And he says in Acts 2, uh, verse uh, 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. 
whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And then he summarizes the message in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And I think the, the statement that came to my mind is based out of Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, he was wanting to release Jesus, but the crowd was in an uproar, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just, of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. So they said, we'll take responsibility for what happens. Now Peter gives this message and says, you are responsible. You did this. You're guilty. Conviction sets in. What are we going to do? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. I think what captured me so much about this sermon from Peter, Peter looked at a crowd that not long ago was speaking and uttering things that no doubt in this very moment they regretted tremendously. We took responsibility. And not only did we take responsibility, but we passed off this responsibility onto our children as well. And Peter looked and he said, not only is Jesus capable of absolving you of your guilt and your responsibility, but he is good enough even to take care of this for your children as well. And so you think about Peter, who probably, quite possibly more than any of the other apostles and disciples, knew what it was to say things that pinged you with guilt and regret and remorse and, man, I wish I could take those things back who had personally experienced the restoration that Jesus offered, to be able to stand before this crowd that was filled with guilt and shame and remorse and say, look, I can speak firsthand to the, to the reconciliation that Jesus offers. Yes, you, you assumed responsibility and you passed it off on your children as well. Well, guess what? Jesus is good enough and is able to forgive you and he is capable to do it for your children as well. This this was was second to any sermon that Jesus preached, quite possibly one of the greatest sermons of hope that mankind has ever heard. Well, it got recorded. And by the way, it wasn't just for them and their children, but he goes on to say, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so I think it's fitting to end today's broadcast with that as a reminder to the listeners. You know, there could even be somebody listening right now who really has never truly called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Right. You know, you could be listening to this because you value uh, the gospel. You believe in God. You even believe in Jesus. But there's a realization in your heart right now that it was your sin that he went to the cross for. It was your hope that he rose for. Yes. And he offers that. Uh, he called it the gift of the Holy Ghost here. It's a gift. And it is a gift for as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you know what? If you read on down, you'll find out not everybody that day believed and called on the Lord, but it says they that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were about 3,000 of them. 
I would say he did a good job. Absolutely. Friends, we hope you have a great rest of your day. Join us next week. We'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.